Welcome. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm. Uh, I think I'm in the midst of a stomach bug. I'm. I'm like the last domino to fall in our family. So oh. bear with me if if I have to make any uh, quick exits from this recording. Oh but, my goodness, the stomach bug in that big family just seems to never go away, does it? No, no, it doesn't. And then my we had. Um, it's you know it's been making the rounds. We thought we were clear on Friday, so we had a little celebration for a little Clementine in turn one. Oh. And now my mom is texting me that my sisters are starting to uh, go down along with it. So oh, it spreads, no. you know. Uh, what is it? Uh, public transmission is real. <laughs> That's right. Um, How are you guys? We had a week off, John. How did you, you know, we we, we had our Madisonian meeting um, on the 21st last week. You know, after that, I was a little drained. I think we all were. Um, and we we couldn't get around the recording. But uh, it was nice to have a week off, to be honest with you. And uh, it was a good meeting. What did you think about it? I thought it went really, really well. I mean, there's one thing to see their RSVPs, and it's another thing to see uh, butts in the seats, as they say, or they like to say on the school board, boots on the ground. So um, <laughs> it was an, amazing to just tell, like, you know, a lot of people in the room. Like, it's been much more successful than the ones we had uh, last summer. And I think that's because we're, we, last summer was a period of refinement. And, um, you know, we, we got the, the story down, but I think people are really interested in, in the, the comments I heard afterwards. People learned a lot, or they thought it was like spot on. So it was good. Yeah, it was it was really exciting. Um, like, you know, those RSVPs are hard to judge, you know, because they come in super late. You know, I love you people, but I, the RSVP is is late and that's OK. It just gets me all nervous the week before uh, thinking I'm going to have an empty room. Um, but, yeah, I think we had we had almost 30 people in the room, which was fantastic. Um, last year, we typically had between 10 to f- maybe 20 people at the most. Um at our last year's meetings. And like I tell people, those were beta tests, right? You and I, we were, we were just kind of like feeling out the the realm, trying to figure out what we were doing, craft our story, right? Because that's what history is. It's a story. Um, and uh, yeah, I was really excited about it. Uh, we had, we had a history teacher in the room. We had, you know, um, small business owners, like, like we had a whole variety of people and it was, it was really exciting. Great conversation. Really authors, nice. We had authors too. Yeah, we had we had professional authors in the room. That's right. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just it was it was great conversation. Um, let's let's um, for the for our listeners out there that weren't able to make the meeting, um, let's just do a little recap of what the meeting structure was. So um, you had really nice uh, pamphlets picked up. I'm just going to look at the next meeting is so people can put on their calendars right now. It's February 18th, if I recall. Yes. So Giuseppe's be there. So if this, if this, what's your whistle at all, you can go to madisonianrepublicans.com and RSVP. We've got the, that page set up and that link will be in the show notes for that. But it was, a, a, I think the idea was to kind of tell our founding story and sort of who we are. Um, and there's so much, so much of an attempt in, in sort of modern day to kind of uh, denigrate who we, who we were, where we come from mm-hmm. in an effort to sort of like, well, look at all these problems. They're unfixable and unresolvable and there's nothing we can do about it. When in reality, you know, we're people, people make mistakes, people are imperfect, but people can also come together to make truly resilient and incredible inventions, if you will, uh, you know, uh, recapitulations, retellings of how to govern ourselves. And I think that's what our constitution is. So um, we, you kind of, you try to tell it from the idea of the executive and that was your major theme. So I think right. the first, the first time frame was when we had no executive, right? It was just, right. uh, well, I guess it was an English monarch was the executive. So, yeah, I mean, technically we didn't have an executive that was this like limbo period and and so for for our listeners out there um let me start with one thing i went to church today and i heard this great sermon by my uh by uh pastor barry and at the very end he he said this and it i think it 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 goes into exactly what the first meeting was and he said sometimes we need to go back to the beginning to understand who we are supposed to be why because we drift and that was the idea of this first meeting. I wanted to tell our founding story from where I perceive the idea of freedom and independence coming from to the point where the powers that brought that, uh, you know, the United States into power had faded and kind of gone away. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, the timeline that I have decided to carve out is 1754 to 1829. And that's the beginning of the French and Indian War. And then 
the end of the Adams administration and the beginning of the Jackson administration. Um, I wrote a, a pretty concise article about this, um, basically tracking the powers. Um, I put it out this week after our meeting. It's called The History of the United States uh, Tracking Power, 1754 to 1829. Check it out. Um, and yeah, so it, and I wanted to, like you said, tell the story for, it's not necessarily the executive, but it, it is because those are the people that had the most sway at that time. Um, that's kind of how our country has worked. You know, the executive is that guiding force. They're supposed to listen and guide the people. But back then, they had uh, everything was new, and people were used to being guided by a central point of authority because they were used to a king or monarch. Um, and so, yeah, I start with that that no executive period of time where Ben Franklin's going across the ocean trying to get us some representation. Um, and then we carve into Washington and Adams and Jefferson. We watch all these different things start to happen and we start to drift. <laughs> we start to drift, you know? Um, but yeah. No, I think what you said, like it, I wouldn't say it's like where our freedoms come from. It's where our freedoms like crystallize because a lot of these ideas are ancient or they're sort of, you know, uh, enlightenment era sort of re uh, discovering through after the middle ages. And I think it's that crystallization where we sort of, um, we realize that we are self-governing people. There's people across the Atlantic Ocean that don't want us to be self-governing, and we sort of we break free. And that um, like, have you seen that glass show on Netflix? It's kind of a niche thing, but like there's the point where you're blowing glass and stuff, and then in order to you've got a little um, ball that you hold on your blowpipe and you're working through the glass. But at some point you have to make it cool, and then you can clean. You can do a clean cut with a little piece of metal. And I think that's where we were, where we had built <laughs> this edifice and these sort of the roots of our freedom from England, from uh, the Romans, from the Greeks. And then at some point we realize, hey, this is a finished piece that we can sort of take off and then add and make our own. We don't need England's help to kind of blow it. And that's like that breaking point. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But uh, like all glass, it, it gets uh, dusty and dirty. And, and I think that's that's what you're trying to point out. It's like, we've got this shining edifice of Washington, an amazing first president. Uh, yeah. But then we get to Adams who maybe wasn't so suited for the job. And, you know, he did an admirable job through there but he had an adversarial relationship with his vice president that uh was pretty toxic i mean you can tell that story about how they literally so, started a newspaper to go against him well i mean and there's a lot of things that go into that and first i push back on the idea that john adams wasn't suited for the job he may have been a petty man and he may have been tempestuous and kind of difficult to be around but he was absolutely suited for the job because he handled a very difficult situation very well um because the rules were still being created, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so we had the Philadelphia convention, but then like, we realized immediately like, hey, we really don't have a great process for this vice president job. Yeah, well, just whoever finishes second. And then, you know, as the parties start to form, and then it's like, wait, you have a vice president who's an adversary? And that's what happened in the Adam, Adam administration. Thomas Jefferson and him were really good friends. He becomes, they start to kind of drift apart as the uh, country comes together. When Jefferson is the secretary of state and the French Revolution happens, they find themselves on opposite sides of this issue. And during the administration, Jefferson and Madison, but as vice president, Jefferson was openly hostile to Adams. Um, he made it really difficult. And Adams had a very difficult situation to navigate because they were on the brink of war with France. You know, mm -hmm. like it was it was not a great time. You would hope that your 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 countrymen, your president and vice president would be on the same team working in the same direction. And when they're working opposed to each other, it's not really great for the country. Um, luckily, Adams was able to pull that off. Uh, Jefferson goes on to, to win the presidency and kind of start that new era of good feelings with that one party rule where it was like Republican, 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 Republican. Um, and you kind of lost the Federalist, which in some ways is really good. In other ways, it's not so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the if if you're Adams, if you have a little bit more personality, a little bit more gravitas, maybe you're able to like sway somebody like James Madison, for example, mm -hmm. onto your side and cool the temper tempers of Jefferson. Because Jefferson was just this very idealistic person who really didn't want to be told he was wrong in any <laughs> circumstance. <laughs> no, never. 
And, and you know, we, we talk about this a lot in modern day is fake news, right? Well, where did fake news come from? Well, you know, a lot of it could be traced back to Thomas Jefferson and this idea, like he literally helped start papers to trash atoms and, <laughs> and support the French who were, you know, um, against us at the time. So, you know, the whole Congress passed the Aliens and Sedition Act. Um, John Adams signs it in the law, even though he's kind of iffy on the constitutionality of it. Um, but it was it was necessary in one aspect because you can't have your vice president and papers going around basically writing seditious libel. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to silence free speech because that's mm -hmm. the one of the most important things that our constitution and bill of rights granted us. So it was this really difficult time. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny how that kind of works out. And, and, you know, Adams gets labeled this guy who was somewhat inept because of it, but his challenges were different than Washington's, you know, yeah, right. and he, he made some managerial issue, uh, mistakes as well he kind of went in a little naive to the job because he's he's literally only the second person to do it so you're you're literally learning on it and he kept uh, a lot of washington's cabinet and i think that was a big mistake from the beginning he didn't bring in his own people that idea of uh patronage um and bringing in your own team to work with and check and balance you um i think proved yep. helpful for washington did not work so well for adams yeah, and it's it's not just like uh, you know that money flows one way, but it's all, sort of loyalty falls another way. Where if you ask someone to do something, they'll actually do it for you. And I think that's a key thing in terms of getting something done when you're just a single executive. Like by nature, you have to delegate a whole lot. So if you have a cabinet that's going to fight you on everything, it just makes it harder to actually do your job and to be the executor of the laws that come across. Right, and then um, and then we go into we go into the Mad uh, the Jefferson administration. We get the Louisiana Purchase. We expand our country. Things are kind of going really well during during that period of time. We start to you know fight against the British again. You know Jefferson's always very hostile towards the British. I mean they were they were our oppressors to a, mm -hmm. some degree. Um, and Madison and him, Madison is Secretary of State at this time. They do the embargo on British, and ultimately this leads to war during the Mad Madison administration in 1812. Um, the country is literally like falling apart at the seams. Um, Andrew Jackson comes out of nowhere. The Battle of New Orleans um, breathes hope back into the nation. Uh, they, this happened after the Treaty of Ghent was signed, but before anyone knew about it, right? right? So the war was actually over, but the Americans really felt like they were losing. And losing the New Battle of New Orleans would have meant like devastation. The, the country would have been split in half. There was a section of the Federalists that were like ready to leave um, and secede from the nation. Um, Andrew Jackson, you know, pulls it back together. Um, and then you get that continuation of the Republican rule with James Monroe is the next president, and then ultimately John Quincy Adams. And again, what you see is you start to see that one side drift further and further away from the country. They're they're focusing on their perspective and not seeing the whole perspective, or at the very least, they're not doing a good enough job communicating it to the American people so they understand what's going on. You get the tariff of abominations, which really starts to, you know, spread things, um, divide people because it overwhelmingly hurts one part of the nation of, as opposed to another. You get the invention of the uh, cotton gin, which makes uh, cotton a, a cash crop um, and which unfortunately intertwines the, the economic interests of the South with slavery for a long period of time. So one of the things we talked about in the meeting is were our founders intending on keeping slavery or was their goal to ease it out? And I maintain that their goal was to push it out. And it's with, you know, that uh, that happening, Eli Whitney and the, the cotton gin, where it starts to change during the Monroe and Adams administration. And by the time you get to the next era, you really see that that take hold. It's the next generation of American leaders, not the founding generation that mm -hmm. really wanted to preserve slavery. The founding generation wanted to get rid of slavery. It was it was the the John C. Calhoun's, the 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 Southern um, you know, uh blockade that was trying to push uh, slavery out into the new territories. That was that uh, that aspect. And 
I think it's really important that people know that because our founders, I think, yes, they were slaveholders. Yes, they, you know, could have done better. But at the same time, they were they were literally born into it. You know, it's you have very little control sometimes when you're born, you know, um, you have zero control when you're born. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm mean, like in your family, you yeah. know, to change things immediately. If you if you have a family that has a lot of slaves and your economic interests reside on it as far as like your survival, it's hard to just say, okay, let's start from scratch and get rid of everything. It is something that does need to be eased out over time. They it was a, slavery was a much more humane thing during that founding period. Period. It got really bad. After that, in the second part, when it uh, where they capped the slave trade, the amount of slaves in the country, like the cost of them went up, which made the slaveholders even more wealthy. And they were just cruel and they they denigrated these people um, just awful where you see a lot of our founders, they freed their slaves or they attempted to free their slaves in different circumstances. Um, so I think that's just an, it's something that something that people should know, you know, at the very least, if you're going to be mad at somebody. Be mad at the right people. Right. John T. Calhoun. <laughs> I mean, he's not the I, I use his name, but I'm not trying to throw just him under the bus. There was a there was a lot so of people. No, there's a lot of people because there's a lot of money behind it. I mean, like that right. was the I think that's one of the reasons probably people went along with getting rid of the African slave trade was they realized this could be actually be economically beneficial, which again is awful when you're dealing with humans. Right. Uh, but that's that and that when you start making uh decisions where you're gonna denigrate someone, you kind of have to keep going down that path because otherwise your conscience uh, kicks in and says, whoa, 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 that's not a good idea. Right. And then you have to, then you do have to kind of throw everything and start from over. So it, it's just human nature. It's much easier to slide into uh, a, a, you know, a sin like that almost where um, the ability to break free from that is incredibly difficult and requires a lot of virtue. Unfortunately, like a war, you know, if it's a war inside yourself or a war externally. Right. Um, so we got to the tariffs of abomination. That's during the John Quincy Adams administration, right? Um, and then we had, you know, before that, we had the corrupt bargain of 1824. Um, and this is where what was going on was the Republican power that uh, that Virginia alliance that had elected a whole bunch of people, right? They They nominated Jefferson. They nominated Madison. They nominated Monroe. They did not nominate Adams. Now, James Monroe, when he came in, he he the country was pulling apart a little bit um, right after the War of 1812. Things were difficult. And he came in with this union effect where he was like he was looking back to Washington's cabinet. And he was like, I'm going to pick people out of different places of the country to unite us together. And he did a really good job of this. Um, he, get, he doesn't get enough credit in history, I think. Um, he brought in the Federalist who are the old Federalist, um, John Quincy Adams, he was from Massachusetts, and into that Secretary of State spot. That was really James Monroe's like handpicked successor, right? Like this really was kind of a little bit of an aristocracy to a degree, mm-hmm. but aristocracy of people who really meant well and were trying to maintain the founding's, founder's intent. And um, uh, the Virginia delegation nominated uh, William Crawford instead. And what this did is it divided power within the Republican Party. Now, a lot of people in the southern states in the West, they were afraid of William Crawford because William Crawford had this very mischievous past where he was he was aligned with Aaron Burr when Aaron Burr was trying to, you know, carve out a little piece of the West for Mexico yeah. and become emperor or whatever. Um, he ratted on Burr to save his own hide, realistically. And then, you know, he did some sketchy things. Uh, Andrew Jackson was not a fan of this man. And this Southern delegation went to Andrew Jackson. They were like, look, we're afraid Crawford's going to win the presidency. I, we don't think Adams can beat him. We want to nominate you. So, and, and you've already got Clay running as well from the west so now you've spread you've divided all that power out and jackson ends up winning i believe the popular vote he ends up winning a majority of the um the electoral college um but nobody reaches the threshold for presidency so what happens it goes to the top three and it goes to the house um william clay realizes that you know he doesn't really like andrew jackson he can he doesn't really like Adams either. You know, he's kind of up in there. He's really about himself, but 
he ends up throwing his support behind Adams, gets the Secretary of State job, which again, that's the launching pan to the, the United States. And Andrew Jackson is just livid over this because he feels like he was cut out of the process. He feels like he should have been um, the president. And in a lot of ways, you can you can make the argument that he should have been, that the American people wanted him. Um, and that's where like, that's where that power broke, right? That's where the Republican Party lost the people because mm -hmm. he was able to take that argument along with the bad things that happened during the tariff of an abomination, which by the way, Jackson voted for as a senator, FYI. Um, he was able to use that and launch himself into the presidency in 1828. He became the first populist president. It was about aligning the people with the executive to get things done. And it really propelled our country into that next phase. And that's where that breaking point is. Um, and so we had a we had a few questions at at the end of our uh, our packet, didn't we? Um, and one of the first ones was, uh, or what was the main cause of the Revolutionary War? Representation. Representation. And <clears throat> how often do you hear that other word said when that question is asked? All the time. All the people talk about is taxation because they talk about the Boston Tea Party and they talk about uh, the Stamp Act and they talk about. Uh, are there, I think we had our own tariffs yeah. of abomination. Huh? We had no the tax of what was it? Tax of abomination or something? There wasn't. Oh, the abominable acts. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then and the Townsend Act, right? And you're you're 100 right. And everybody associates. They go, well, the British were taxing us, right? But we just wanted a say in the taxes. Like we understood that they were going to tax us. They were at war. This was a common practice. People knew that if you know if Britain's going to send soldiers here to protect us against the French and the Indians, then they're going to have to be paid, and therefore taxes are going to be need to be levied. But the Parliament was deciding the taxes. They weren't distributing them evenly throughout the colonies, and it was overwhelmingly hurting certain uh, parts of the country. And we just wanted a say in what was going on. All we wanted was some representation, and they refused. Um, and that's where, like, once your authority says, no, we're not going to listen to you, basically what they're saying is they don't want to govern you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where it's like, all right, well, it becomes it becomes a revolution at that point. It becomes like, hey, if they're not going to govern us, we're going to have to govern ourselves. You know, we're going to have to take this over. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important to understand is our revolution. It was fought over a representation, which – if you hear me talk, I talk about representation a lot. <laughs> well, I'm like, that's a tradition. The tradition is in the British system, if you wanted to get taxes, the king would sort of ask the people to get taxes and the people would give the taxes to the king. Right. So like, and in the, the dialogue around this sort of before we declared independence, there was sort of this idea that maybe we don't really want to be, not be British subjects. We just, you know, we want to, we want to have a seat at the table. We're okay to pay duties and imports on British goods. We're okay that you limit which, that we can only trade with the British. Like they were fine with that, but it's when the, the parliament sort of came into the ordinary operating day-to-day -day lives, the Stamp Act, where if you had to get a marriage certificate, that was a tax on that. Like that affects your day-to-day -day life. And people hadn't, you know, they, they could petition parliament, but parliament was under no obligation to listen to that. And they didn't listen to that. And they just said, oh, we got to pay for our war. We got to pay for our bureaucracy. And you know, we got to pay for all the the civil servants over in America. So we're going to pay with those duties and right. those taxes. And, and realistically, I mean, what, what Franklin mm -hmm. saw over there was he saw a ballooned government mm -hmm. that wasn't paying attention to itself. It, they were completely corrupted by both private and corporate interests. Um, and that's, you know, that made that means the that, that's terrible. You know, like when you're going in, if your boss or your company is or. If your country is taxing you and you see them spending the money very poorly, you're like, whoa, 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 step back here. I think you're doing this for yourself and not for us. And uh, I think we can relate to that a little bit. Sounds like a local school board that I know of. <laughs> so um, one of the other questions, uh, we talked a little bit about the Philadelphia Convention at there. What was the major topic of discussion at the Philadelphia Convention? Representation representation right and you mentioned it before it was like we took all these different ideas from the greeks and all these different governments that went through and the main point of what uh, madison was really trying to like install into our nation was this idea of self-governance this mm -hmm. idea of of representation um and that's why um we ended up with a republican form of government and not just a single federal 
uh, Republican form, but also the Constitution guarantees that all state governments are Republican in, in nature as well, which is really important because and, – and this was a question on our thing – why did our founders choose a Republican form of government? Because it balances power the best. It gives – you know it, it sees a little bit of people of power to, up to the top so they can make decisions, but at the end of the day, it make, allows people at the bottom to – uh, petition their leaders to make, you know, to select their leaders in order to make sure that the right decisions are getting made. I think like that's the one of the key parts of, of choosing that Republican. Right. And I like to tell people the Republican form of government works best because it takes a big problem, big government, and it breaks it down into something small. And mm -hmm. think about anything you've ever done in your life, right? Like you've got a big project. What's the first thing you do? You break it down into small little projects and you step by step through the process until you've completed the larger project. Same thing with our federal government. And that's why our founders really uh, wanted a Republican form. And they did so in this representative form that guaranteed that the people would have control over it. And it's, it's really a brilliant invention as long as people understand it and know how to use it. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> that's uh, interesting. You uh, you describe it like that because in computer science, the recursion is an algorithm that you use, but it's basically taking a large problem and breaking it down into small parts. And then when you get to the base level, you found sort of um, the, a single unit, and then from that single unit, you come right back up, and you, know, you actually solve your problem. And interestingly enough, that's the fastest kind of algorithm. So maybe that's uh, you know uh, nature nature mirrors itself all throughout in terms of governance and computing and uh... yeah I, I i see that over and over again because i like I, i've talked about before i think republicanism in a large degree is kind of like capitalism you know mm -hmm. they have the same structure the structural form you know um we talked uh i already went over the slavery thing um the was it uh, oh what happened as soon as we became united we fought with each other we started tearing each other apart, man. You know, like it's kind of like when you get, it's kind of like a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. You meet, you fall in love, you date, you get engaged, you're all excited. You're planning for that wedding. You get married, you go on your honeymoon, you come home and now life begins. And you're like, oh man, you clipped your toenails there. Like you put the dirty dishes away. Like what's going on over here? That's what happened to our country, right? Like, right. Like we were all on the same page. We wanted this beautiful wedding and all this freedom and independence. And then all of a sudden we both went home to our houses and like, we were just slobs, you know, like we just didn't respect each other. We didn't know how to communicate with each other. We were arguing and fighting and, you know, it kind of pulls you apart. Um, luckily we hit some counseling after the war of 1812, we were able to mend ourselves a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's important to know because, I think sometimes like regular Americans, or at least myself, uh, a few years ago, you watch this stuff on TV, it becomes scary. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it's a little comforting to know that eh, it's happened before, you know, and, before. and and we can overcome these difficulties. Well, and, and it's not just a war of 1812, but even as soon as we win the war of, of independence, we've got the Continental Congress, which is 13 equal votes. Every state gets it right. And you, people are bickering over taxation and sort mm -hmm. of, and like, how do we go? How do we pay for our debts? How do we govern ourselves? Um, you know, death and taxes, and uh, we're that's that lead the the deficiencies of that Continental Congress system lead to a desire for a constitutional convention, and that's what you get the, our Constitution, and you know, right. and you got the way to to amend it. Yeah, and 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 one of the you know the main points mm -hmm. of that Philadelphia Convention was to create a central form of authority. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you, you talked about before, I laid my packet out in that authority. Who was in charge? Where were they leading us? Um, and that's important to understand, because if you know what the intent of the leader is, at least you can understand why he made his decisions. Right. Um, and that's that's, you know, intent is very important. Um, and so, yeah, we. We created this central point of authority. We had these two different factions, the the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist. One was for it, one was against it. Um, eventually, it gets ratified. You get full representation for the people along with the states. You get this very check and balance government that's beautifully designed, um, but it has flaws, but it has an amendment process. So you can work mm -hmm. on the flaws. Um, you've got Bill of Rights that guaranteed certain 
you know, rights to the American people, specifically the number one and number two, the right of free speech and the right of to bear arms, you know, back then and even now, you know, if you want to be free, there's realistically two ways to be free. You can be free using your voice and convincing a whole large amount of people to go to the assembly to to vote out the legislators, vote in new legislators and create new leadership that balances your country. Or you can go to war, you can create a revolution. And uh, we don't want number two. Like we never want number two because that always hurts the like the regular people, the people that don't have the money to pay for other soldiers to represent them and all those different things that happen uh, when war war comes about. So it is so it's really the, um, the it's someone said it's the it's the soapbox, it's the uh, ballot box, and then it's the bullet box like, the, you know, like. That's yeah. that's kind of the the way it goes, and you know, thankfully we're still at the the ballot box and the soapbox. But you can imagine when you when you are being heard, you right? Like you have no remedies. Yeah, and, and it was harder to be heard back then because there was mm -hmm. far less you know forms of communication. Although I think harder and easier if you were eloquent enough, you could just ride into the Capitol and talk to people, right? Um, but that was also difficult because it wasn't easy to just travel um, as easy. And also, we didn't have the capital. There was no capital back then. <laughs> but you can find your delegation. You know, you, that was part of the structure. They they thought about that when dividing the districts out and making sure that they were within, you know, traveling distance for regular citizens so they could actually have a conversation with their representative. Because as we will learn in a future class, representation is communication <laughs> well and i like talking about the the constitution being imperfect and needing to be updated like i think that was the original uh, ratification of it everyone realized well many people realized that it was missing certain things like the, the whole bill of rights was sort of a uh, a backroom not a really backroom deal but sort of a, a secondary thing like let's get the constitution in place and then we'll kind of fill it in with these rights that everyone has and, and agrees to but we're gonna we're not gonna put them in the original documents so people don't don't fight about and bike shit about. It. Let's get the the skeleton in place and then we'll start putting the sort of the meat on the bones. Yeah. Because um, because like the first the Bill of Rights Congress puts that in there, but you know no one had you know, that wasn't guaranteed by any of the people that ratified it initially. Right, that's true, and that's why like people like George Mason, Patrick Henry, that's why they didn't sign the Constitution mm -hmm. because right. they wanted a Bill of Rights in there. Um, they were they were against the central point of authority, and they were like, "Hey, look, if you're gonna have a central point of authority, guarantee these individual rights um, because it's it's all about balance." Um, and there was enough consensus where they were going to do it, but because it wasn't all done at once, they were like, look, I don't want my name on this if, cause who knows what happens after I sign it, you know, like this may never actually happen. Um, luckily it did happen. The bill of rights are very important. <laughs> so never been more important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like, that's a little brief overview of our class. Uh, like I mentioned, I've got an article out, go read that I'm working on, um, I'm working on the next article, which is going to be, it's, it's not part two. It's actually, I call it the, uh, the threads of the old Republic. It's the little pieces that connect that happened during the founding era that connect to that created the Jacksonian era. I'm going to highlight those and talk about them a little bit. And then, um, during the second half of our, uh, meeting schedule, uh, of the year, we will do the Jacksonian era. And that's going to go from 1829 to 1861. I know typically history classes, they break these things up. Um, it's the Jacksonia and then the, the antebellum period. But I group them together because what I'm doing is I'm telling the story of authority and power. You know, mm -hmm. it was the Jackson Democrat power structure that really led um, that was co-opted by the slave owners, essentially, and used to their advantage. And that's what really pushed us towards civil war. And it's not to say that the Republicans didn't have anything to do with it. They absolutely did. They were reformed um, towards the end of that period of time. And uh, it was really the opposing force. It's, you know, like I talk about, every action has a reaction, right? And those two things is kind of what led to that that rupture. So we'll get that into that in the uh, second half of the the year. Um, let's talk about our Madisonian mission, John. What's your mission here? Mission is to uh, educate, to inform. We, I think, you know, we want to help um, teach people, really. Like, that's what it comes down to. And I think you and I kind of talked about this in the introductions as we sort of became students of history on our own outside of the classroom. And that just shaped how we saw our governance structure. So we want to teach more people because we realize that once you learn 
our founding principles and our founding truths, like this country becomes so much more beautiful and so much more uh, personal, you know, like, you, you know, the fact that it feels so cold. I mean, we're, we're just outside Washington, D.C., but it, it was and it was funny to to rail against the Washington, D.C. establishment, maybe when you're campaigning. But, you know, like it, it feels kind of cold because you can't get a hold of your congressman, or your senator, because they're they don't have offices. They don't have the ability to talk. And I think we want to show people that um, that's not not as it was intended. Right. And so I like to, I, I try to avoid the word educate, right? Like I like to use the word inform, you know, inform our community, because what I want to do is I want to give you information. I want to give you the information that I've picked up on and I'll give you, I bring, you know, I bring the books to the class. Like this is where I got my information. If you, and I'm putting it out on packets, we're, we're sending it out however we can. And this is my information. These are my ideas, your ideas, our ideas, because we worked on this as a team. And I want are the people in our community to take this and go, all right, this doesn't sound right somewhere. Challenge, you know, mm-hmm. read, you know, study, uh, take the information and, and, and combat me with different information. If you think something is, is inaccurate and that's okay. That's how the, pro- this is, it's a deliberative body, right? right. Like we're, we're acting as Congress as, as essentially we're trying to in our own community. And you're, you're the speaker, but you're uh, you're a benevolent speaker. <laughs> yeah. So in, you know, the goal realistically is, is to give our community the information to elect better leaders, to hope to find some people out there that want to be leaders and then give them the tools to do so. Because, you know, something that we both learned on the campaign trail is it's really expensive to run for office. Yeah. Um, and it's really difficult because they make it hard, both the parties and the PACs. It's a whole system. You basically, if you want to be, think about it this way. Imagine if you were, imagine if you were a doctor and in order to be a doctor, you had to fundraise for your business. You had to do commercials and all these different, you basically had to create this business and focus on this business all the time. And then also be a doctor. Like you didn't have time to study or like deal with patients, talk to people. You were so focused on selling yourself and raising money all the time. And that's essentially what's going on right now. The people running for office, most of their focus is on winning office. They are not focused on governing you. They don't have time to focus on governing you because of the system that they're in. It's not even really their fault. They're just stuck in the middle of it. Um, And that's why, you know, we have to, you know, we have to start to address these issues. Um, and we hope to be able to lower the cost for people simply having a good message. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's tools out there with podcasting and, you know, videos and advertising that you can do to lower it. You're working on a website that will will be able to send out to people so they can use for different purposes, connect with their clientele or their constituents. Um, that will be less expensive than going through the consultant and the PACs and all these different things and that basically just take your money and funnel it into themselves and their own business, their own private businesses, kind of like the old uh, spoil system of the uh, <laughs> the Gilded Age. No, the idea behind the website in particular, like we used it to we run it, the Madison Republicans.com. It's sort of, it. The, the idea is to centralize things so that you have to worry about less. I mean, like um, when I ran for, when I ran for Congress, I did Eventbrite to manage events and I had a, uh, usually you have to run your own email list or like MailChimp and then you get a voter registration database of some sort that you got to contact people, but they're all sort of different systems. And this is what I've discovered in my time of, of being a programmer is um, it's a lot easier when the data is all in one spot and then you can sort of build on top of that. So that's the idea is to bring it all in one spot and build on top of it. So we've right. got the, the mailing list and the um, event management and hopefully we'll get the, the door knocking actually. Like, I think that's a key thing. And We'll, yeah, we'll bring in the uh, the Jeff Mayhew system of door knocking rather than the consultant system of door knocking. Or yeah, you ask We're, people, yeah. do you know that there's an election coming up? And start a conversation rather than yelling at them and saying like, "I'm so and so, I'm running for this seat. Can I count on your support?" Because they don't know you. Honestly, like that's the problem is no one knows you, and that's why the power parties are so powerful because if you get that party branding, people say, "Oh, I know this person because the party's with them." And I, you know, like that that only strengthens a party system, you know, and that's why you have to appeal to the same. 15,000 people in our primary, you know, uh, if you're in a small house district, maybe it's only a couple hundred that are going to vote in a, in a, in a primary or a convention. So you need a way to reach those people. And I think that's the goal is to build a tool where you can take 
a message, whatever it is, if it's not the Madison Republicans, it's fine. You know, you're going to lose anyway, but, um, you know, take, take a message and then use that to reach people and actually like reach people, you know, like, you know, uh, as I like to say, like, everyone's like, oh, it's so great that you're running for office. And it's like, no, you just fill out some paperwork and you ask people to vote for you. Right. And what is that message? Like what, so like if, if we're the Madisonian Republicans, right. And we're saying like regular people, yes, everything we're talking about, this is a long-term project. This is not going to happen overnight, but what are some things that like individual citizens that maybe be listening or reading our articles, like what could they focus on? Um, and I, I've been thinking about this today. And I think uh, if you, right now there's prime, it's primary season. For anybody that doesn't know, this is primary season, okay? In Virginia. In Virginia. In Virginia, yes. And uh, I keep forgetting, people outside of Virginia may listen to this, but I'm in Virginia, okay? <laughs> and Virginians should lead. It, just FYI, all right? So uh, what do what do our citizens, you know, what, what should they be talking to their delegates about? And I think campaign finance reform is the, is the thing, right? Because it doesn't really matter what your personal issue is right now whoever you're voting for if they are part of that you know if they have to if they have to raise so much money into getting to office that's who they're listening to they're right. listening to the people that pay them money they're if you're not if you're out there voting for them and you're not donating large sums of money to you they do not hear you mm-hmm. they don't want to hear you they're not trying to hear you and again part of it is maybe intentional by bad people but for the most part these people are good decent human beings who just don't understand like they just think hey this is the system this is what i got to do if you go to events local events here in virginia what you'll notice is it's the same people that show up to all the events it's the same people donating the money these are the people that are in charge these are the people that are electing our leaders that are essentially failing. Um, you know, where I'm at, we're overtaken, and you out in Loudoun County, same thing, overtaken by bad, ed- a bad education system and data servers everywhere local. Well, how do you change that? You can vote in people that fight against it, or you can vote for people that change the system of how people get elected, lower the threshold of money into office get people heard again with campaign finance reform. I think that's the number one thing you should be pressing every delegate, every state senator say, what are you doing to solve campaign finance reform? Because they can write that at the state level and Virginia Mm -hmm. could ratify it. And it could be something that the nation adopts at a later time. You know, we don't have to go top down. We can work from the bottom up. That's how the government and the system is supposed to work. Yeah. And what would you say is the biggest thing in campaign finance reform? Would you limit a number of donations, the limit, the donation amount, would you limit like just the amount you can raise the limit, the amount that people can spend on a race? Um, I think the first basic, simple thing you could write into the legislature is a boundary line, right? So you're Mm -hmm. only taking in money from the, the place that you're like going to govern, which means if you're in VA district 10 um, and you're running for office, you cannot take in money from outside of VA district 10, which means like the, the, the way that the, the Democrats run their campaign finance in Virginia. It's all centralized through the Democratic Party. So everything goes into one fund, and then they choose how to divvy it all out, which gives them complete control over everybody that runs for office. Right. If you write if you write this simple you know, law that says, okay, all your money that gets spent in District 10 has to come from District 10, then all of a sudden you literally – Overnight, you break that up and you say they have to come up with a new system and you guarantee that the people at least at least it's the people that have money inside the district doing it. Right. Right. Because you're not having Google and Amazon and all these different ways to secretly fund money through the system so they can, you know, buy legislatures essentially to write rules that allow them to sell our land to data servers. You know, Mm -hmm. we just become this big block everywhere big massive buildings that have no windows and eyesores oh and what do they do there's no jobs you know it it messes with the the drainage in the area you know um they haven't done the right amount of studies but they're already willing to sell the land i think stanley martin which had bought a whole bunch of land up for housing has decided to just build data servers and think about that the cost of housing is through the roof in this area but instead of building more houses to lower the cost of living for uh virginians they are doing more data centers um and i thought like 
uh, Yunkin signed a deal with Google not too long ago, and they're like touting this. The, the VA District 10 Twitter handle put this out, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, everybody is against data centers, and here is Yunkin cutting another deal with the data center people, and it's like, we are cheering this as Republicans? I, I don't understand this. I mean, that's the team aspect. Like, you, you know, you got to be a team player. So if your person at top does it, you got to fall in line. Otherwise, you're not a, you're a rhino. Well, and that's the thing is like, Yunkin is basically the president of Virginia, right? In the in the governmental structure. He's so far away from regular people. It's not his fault. Like, that's okay. Like, I want somebody that's wildly successful and like put themselves up in society to be the executive. You know, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. But you have to have an independent legislature that doesn't just follow suit to what he says, because that's the check. You know, the executive is right. going to be from a wealthy part of the country, and they're going to be surrounded by wealthy people. They're going to want to do things to benefit wealthy people. Well, the legislators supposed to be um, or the delegate level uh, are supposed to be regular people, and they're going to be focusing on regular people problems. And it's that deliberative body in between that helps govern us properly um so yeah yeah and manage it and, and sort of uh keep the executive in check imagine that checks and balances checks and balances man it's i think we're going to talk about that soon um listen so what is the i know that there's no really no federal uh offices running but i'm going to bring it up just in you know because i want to um if you get your hands on a federal uh somebody running for federal office there's only one thing you need to tell them it's uncapped. Uncap. I used to say expand, but it's uncapped now. Um, but yeah, uncapped the house, man. Which is key because it's not just getting more seats, but you know, the population, when the population decreases by a couple hundred million, you know, for whatever calamity people are predicting, you know, then you can shrink the house back to size. It, yeah, it's supposed to be a representative of the population. And when you cap it, it's not really representative of the population anymore. It's representation of the uh, California donors and uh, who can court them. Well, and think about it. We just we've talked about three different things here where capping it raised the cost. They capped the slave trade, which mm -hmm. raised the cost of slaves, which made the, the slave owners more profitable. You capped the basically the amount of housing in Virginia by switching everything to data centers. They stopped building housing, which raised the cost of living. Which who does that benefit? That benefits all the capital, right? All the people that own the mortgages, right? The cost, all the housing, all goes up. And then you cap the house. And what does that do? It raises the cost of entry into politics, into the federal uh, jurisdiction. Um, and all of these things benefit wealthy. They all benefit people above most of us. Um, and it's not to say like we're against, you know, people being wealthy. I support like. You should work your butt off and you should work to that level. It's just that we should have a, a fair system of debating these rules. And and just because you've worked yourself to that level doesn't mean you have complete autonomy over that. Right. You can just cut a check and that's that's it. I mean, like it, people need to debate these ideas and discuss right. them. Right. And then that's what happens. You know, you cut a check, you get time with your representative, and I don't because I don't have any money to show up mm -hmm. to the fundraising event. Right. You know, like check your email. If you're on these email lists, look at how much it costs to go to these events sometimes just to have your voice heard, just to see the person running for office. It's in, in the time, you know, it's just, it's insane. It's insane. It discourages engagement from citizens. Yeah. You know, you're stuck with bumper stickers if at most, but then because it can feel so toxic, sometimes you don't want to put a bumper sticker on because you don't want people to be afraid of mad at you. Right. Um, all right. So Let's talk about our next meeting. What are we going to do, discuss at our next meeting, John? Let me go to madisonrepublicans.com and uh, look it up because I don't remember off the top of my head. But it... <laughs> fix this in post. Why don't you tell me, Jeff, because my phone's uh, acting we're, up. We're going to discuss how the Republic works. We're going to break down the structure of our government. We're going to um, lay out, you know, the executive's responsibilities, the uh, court's responsibilities, the House's responsibilities, the Senate's responsibilities. And we're going to talk a little bit about how they were formed and why they were formed that way. Um, and then we're going to talk about how regular people can use them because these are tools. These are systems. They're for all of us, not just the people that run them. Um, and we can... Uh, we can make changes.
realistically. Mm -hmm. uh, just yeah. as long as we know, you, if you got to know the rules of the game, you got to know how the game's played. Um, you know, they're playing a money game and I'm playing a different game. I'm playing a government game. <laughs> you know, like, like I understand the system. I, most people that I interact with that are in politics, um, they are so focused on the fundraising aspect of it. They actually don't know how our system works at all, which gives a major advantage to regular citizens once you get informed, because you will, no. you'll probably know more than the person running for office. I, um, I will say, uh, just a little pub out there. I went to, uh, a, uh, somebody that was running for office in a district close to mine. I actually, I thought he was running for a different office. So I showed up there. And I got to say, I was really impressed. Um, I give a lot of hard time to people that I meet in politics, but uh, Ian Lovejoy is running in, oh man, the 21st or the 22nd. I can't remember. I'm so sorry. Um, he had a small little coffee talk with some citizens at Vina Nova a couple weeks ago, actually the day of our meeting. Um, it was at, in the morning and he, he knows his stuff. Um, he understands the process. He really, I believe, is doing, you know, working hard for the right reasons. Um, and it shows. It shows in his communication skills. It shows in his knowledge. And, uh, you know, if you're a citizen in this local area and you're looking for somebody to, like, raise up, you know, go with somebody that knows the system, that isn't just focused on fundraising and whatnot. Not to say that he's not doing that because he's got to to win an election. And you shouldn't you shouldn't um, slight anyone for playing the game that's in there, but you should prop up the ones that know both sides of it, right? Yeah. Because he's going to be actually, if he actually gets in there, he'll he'll be better suited to to represent you and do a good job and and get the things done that he's trying to get done. So, I mean, like, I, I also went to a, a local campaign event this past Saturday. And again, like, it's, it's a lot of the same people that uh, go to all the events, which is good in one sense, because you get to see friends and um, acquaintances and whatnot. But it's also, you know, when you want to bring people around when you kind of have this idea that um maybe i i need to like bring people to get above 50 percent to win an election you know you kind of hopefully you can bring new faces to these events new people into the into the effort and that's where you like the inform information aspect comes in you inform them what you stand for right rather than just say well i'm part of this team and if you don't like this team don't vote for me because it's where does it get from there and i you know that's one seat locally there's another seat that um just uh, some guy just kind of moved into because he got scared of another one. But again, like that person, when he talks about it, all he talks about is, um, you know, we got to have a party convention because we need to get out there as fast as possible and attack the Democrats. And it's like, we've been doing that attacking the Democrats for how many cycles? And we've had very little to show for it other than like, you know, unless you're in like a, a deep uh, Republican district, like you're a suburban Virginia, you got to bring people along, uh, you know, Youngkin may have won statewide, but he definitely lost Loudon, but then there's pockets of Loudon that he did pretty well in. So, you know, the, the seats can be favorable in that sense, but that means that you got to do what Youngkin did. And I would say Youngkin was very good about fixing, fixing, informing people what he might do once he was in office rather than sort of denigrating people. And he did a bunch of denigration uh, just as any politician might do, but he was very good about capturing something where <clears throat> Terry McAuliffe is basically like, well, parents don't matter. And so he grabs them and he says, parents do matter. And that's what he informs people. And it's like, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to, listen to parents and you know going back to bureaucracies not listening and not um governing people that's the like the school system in a nutshell the past couple of years this is very right. you know i think it's it precedes the pandemic but i think the pandemic kind of brought it into focus where yeah you know you're you everything's been delegated to unelected bureaucrats with masters in education and doctors in education and they they know that they know best so you better listen to them regardless right. and i you know like that's kind of you know, people, people talk about the parents of old, you know, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. But like, that is an, an ability where you've got people that you are supposed to ostensibly listen to you and sort of help guide you along. Either they say, that's a great idea, we'll incorporate that, or that's, that idea is not going to work. But when it's just kind of a stone wall, and you can't get anything through, um, that's where someone can come in and, and inform and say, like, I see the pain. And I'm going to bring that along with you and you can come along with me for the ride rather than saying like, oh, if you're not going to, if you can't stand this issue, then don't vote for me. Like, and that'd be like the, the guy in Florida that Charlie Crist did that with Ron DeSantis. And probably that's why he got, he get crushed by Ron DeSantis because I think DeSantis is a little bit more willing to sort of, you know, he fights the culture war in one aspect, but he also seems to listen and to try to bring people along on specific issues. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's really a, a politician out there I can name that is like, 
going in with the strategy strategy of like ideas and positivity, everyone does that denigration. Youngkin did it, DeSantis did it, but where the two of them split a little bit from others is they do put out some ideas, right? Mm -hmm. They do actually show some positivity. They show some guidance. Like that's leadership, right? Like, I mean, I would argue that DeSantis's behavior is not great leadership, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have other qualities that are good leadership. And you know, it, you should never write a person off. Everybody's able to come back from from bad mistakes as long as they admit it. And I think what we need is we need, especially at the local level, you need people that are focused not on Joe. Like if you go to a delegate, um, if you go to an event where you have a somebody running for delegate and they mention Joe Biden's name, you should not vote for that person because not that person is not qualified to run for office because Joe Biden has really very little to do with their job. Um and it and it shows their it shows either one of two things. It shows their ignorance or they're willing to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. And um it's disappointing. Um so you know, check your check your your local officials, see what they have on their websites, you know. If they've got stuff about Joe Biden on there, you know, like we can all not like Joe Biden. That's great. But what I want from my delegate is I want my delegate to do their job. And their job is not to talk about Joe Biden. Their job is to legislate my local community where Joe Biden has very, you know, he has little control over it. You have more of it. And and simply saying it's Joe Biden's fault, you can't get anything done is escaping accountability because you can get things done. You're just not doing a good enough job. It speaks to me. It speaks to you. I mean, like, that's a frustration on the local school board level, like, uh, and that's why I've got this piece that I need to, like, finish up editing and stuff. But Virginia is definitely interesting in that the legislature, and this is just the tradition in Virginia from from when we were founded from a colony to a state, is the legislature is the sole arbiter, like, it, it has all the power, and then it delegates that down to localities and says, like, this is what you can manage. So um, I would say in Virginia, specifically, your legislature is incredibly important, if not more important than, like, a local school board, because the legislature can say, in the, you know, they change the Virginia code and they say school boards need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't do that, uh, well, that's the other problem. They need some kind of accountability for school boards that don't do that. But, right. you know, at the very least, like a lot of our policy is basically like, well, this is Virginia code and we got to do this. Um, and that's different from the federal level where, uh, maybe I talked to this before, but like we we ceded certain um, powers to the federal, but we kind of kept everything else. Right. Whereas Virginia, the legislature has all the power and it cedes it to localities to to manage locally where it makes sense right and 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 that's the best way you know small groups you know Mm -hmm. uh, everything is small groups okay and and it's easier to lead a group of 10 people than it is to lead a group of 100 people if you had a group of 100 people you'd probably find i don't know like five to ten people to to also be leaders to break that group up into smaller groups so nobody got lost um it's just the system that we live. It's just life, people. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, like, that's human nature. I mean, like, um, I think a lot of churches do that. They've got small right. groups and stuff where you get, you can sign up and you get assigned a little group. And and that's a, just discussion on specific topics. But again, it's taking a big thing of like theology in this case and breaking it down and with, with all the people. And it, you know, it provides better leadership. It provides better communication because if you've got one large group of 100 people versus 10 small groups of 10 people, you're going to have better conversation in the 10 small groups of 10 people than you're going to be having the one of 100. And then you have a representative from each one of those groups come together and then have a deliberate, you know, debate about that. It almost sounds like our government. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Just try that sometime. <laughs> But, you know, we I think we have this push in our country to get rid of these small groups, to get mm-hmm. rid of this Republican forum, to go to, to straight democracy, eliminate the Electoral College, um, eliminate. I mean, people have talked about eliminating the Senate. Um, I mean, it's just it's insane. Um, and, and we shouldn't do any of that, by the way. We should maintain our founding principles and, and build on them as opposed as opposed to demolishing them. Well, it'd be one thing if someone said we need to get rid of the Senate for this particular reason because it's so broken, but I don't think anyone's come up with a reason like that. And in fact, I think a lot of people find the virtue of having two different legislatures drawing from two different distinct populations trying to hash something out is slow and a little cumbersome, but I think it's it's better for all of us. Right. I do. I mean, the states, I mean, they need to do a better job. I mean, we can go back to how they are elected into office. You know, maybe that's part of the reason why we don't have the right one, because the states realistically, the Senate isn't representing the states anymore. They're representing people because they're voted 
straight democracy in the in the state. And if they were done through state legislatures, they would have more of a state focus on them. Um, but it is it's an important body. We can't demolish it. We can't get rid of it. We can't get rid of the electoral college. These are important checks and balances to our system that allows us from it 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 stops us from centralizing too much power in one place and becoming a dictatorship. So the actually this is what has come up in the Robert Wood book is the um, 17th Amendment, the direct election of senators. A lot of people wanted that because the state legislatures were failing in their ability to nominate someone. So this goes back to people not doing their job and then someone else gets upset and says, well, we'll fix this somehow. Like the state legislatures were not seating senators for specific states because they couldn't agree on someone because they had a deadlock in the legislature somewhere. So that that's an interesting bit of context that I, I discovered reading the Senate history book. Well, I mean, and that it's funny because that kind of is how everything's worked in our country. And it goes back to that quote that I talked about from my pastor, like we drift, right? Mm -hmm. Like instead of yeah. looking back and understanding why do we have this system that we look at the problem that we have now and we go, I'm going to fix this with this other thing. But you yeah. really just create a new problem. What you're supposed to do is hold that state legislature accountable to do their job, okay? Yeah. If they didn't send, they didn't nominate somebody, then they are out representation in the Senate, you know. And eventually, it's kind of like it's kind of like your kid, right? Like if your kid does something wrong, I tell my wife all the time, like we have a different parenting style. Sometimes parents are very like helicoptery; they're just like on top, like your kid's not doing it, you want to fix it right away. And I'm more of like a handoff type parent. If my kid isn't doing something and isn't listening, I'm like, all right, go to your room. You know, like you throw a temper tantrum, I'll just let you scream and whine. Eventually, you're going to get bored up there. You're going to come down. You're going to admit what you did wrong because I'm not going to tell you. You already know. Yeah. <laughs> and you come tell me that that shows me that you've now held yourself accountable because part of holding yourself accountable is simply admitting what you did wrong. Um, and, and then I ask you a question and say, all right, well, what are you going to do differently next time to make sure this doesn't happen? And that's the state. Hey, you threw your temper tantrum. You didn't throw anybody into office. Cool. We'll go on without you. I don't need you here watching TV with me. You know, go mm -hmm. up in your room and throw your temper tantrum. When you're done and you're you're ready, come down and tell me why you were wrong. <laughs> and then nominate somebody. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a good parenting segment right there. Oh, yeah, that is. Hey, that's our parenting segment for the show. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> Um, so a couple things out there, uh, I wanted to touch on real quick. I got this little video. It's on my Instagram page, John, I sent it to you. Uh, mm -hmm. it really, it's as concise as I think I can be explaining why we need more representation, why this is the most important thing that you should focus on as an individual citizen when it comes to the federal level. And that is appropriate, uh, representation for your, for your district. Um, and it's because it's communication. It's the mm -hmm. best way to 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 govern and uh, to make sure that your voice is heard in your government. So go to my Instagram page, check that out. I post it on my Facebook page if you're on there as well. Um, maybe we can get it. That, that, that March meeting is representation is communication too. So, you know. That's while right. You, while you're registering for the February 18th uh, meeting, you can register for March 18th. Right. 20th. And, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of you out there, you come up to me out and – in public, we're at different events. You're like, oh man, I really want to come to your event. Great. I got six of them ready to go. Go RSVP now. You can plan ahead, right? Like I understand, like we got busy schedules and stuff. That's why we put the stuff out so far in advance. Um, so you can plan and prepare. And you know, don't feel bad if you can't come to all of them. You know, we're gonna we're gonna put stuff out there you know, like this, where we do little overviews with articles that you can read to catch up on. We'll, we'll, um, eventually we're going to get this stuff up on our website, right, John? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm putting all the work on him. He, he knows how to do it. I don't, um, but eventually we'll get it up on our website as well. That way people can have a central point of data to, to come to this all a central point of information so they can, they can be guided, um, to challenge, to talk, to communicate, whatever, whatever you feel necessary to do. Um, so yeah, and then the the history of the United States article, um, I think is really important in understanding that it's just kind of factioning powers fighting back and forth all the time, hit back and forth. And, you know, that's what we're going through now and we can overcome it. Yeah. We've been here before, we fixed those problems, made got it through, we'll get through again. That's right. Um, well, I think that's I think that's a good a good show, John. It's a good show. I'm gonna listen to it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, look, look, I got all my books uh, organized back here. I started my office today, finally. Oh, um, nice. My wife has been, uh, that's been a project that has been put off. That's why I'm wearing the flannel. Um, I'm back to the flannel today because I was doing the carpentry work. Took my son to Lowe's. We picked out all the stuff. We got started. Um, so hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll have a nice big picture of James Madison behind me in my office that will... <laughs> Um, and I'll have those books on a shelf so my wife can stop complaining that they're in the middle of the dining room. <laughs> One day. We all can dream. One day. Um, but in the meantime, uh, go to our website, madisonianrepublicans.com. Check out our events. Go RSVP for whatever event you want to do. Um, bring a friend. Um, you know, I find it easier to go to uncomfortable places with someone I'm comfortable with. So mm -hmm. if you're if you're coming out to our event, I understand that politics can be uncomfortable. I promise we do our best to make it comfortable for you. Our meeting structure is set up in a way that it's more like having a conversation than it is like just being spoken to. Um, the first thirty minutes is open. You know, you just you're just talking to people, and and typically you get people that um, are just concerned like you are. Realistically, they don't really know what's going on, and they don't like it, um, and they're just coming out to to see a different perspective. Yeah, um, so I encourage you to bring a friend. I promise I'll be nice. I don't bite anymore. I stopped that about two or three years old. So <laughs> if I bring one of my kids, maybe they'll bite you, but you know, they're little, so. They're pretty well trained. They're missing a couple of teeth, so it's smaller. It's smaller <laughs> they are. They got the big old gap tooth right in the middle, both of them. <laughs> so, uh, John, you got anything you want to add out there for the people before we uh, sign off? No, just my wife was talking about gratitude today. So just I'm grateful again to the people who showed up. Um, you know, Saturday afternoons are not the easiest time. And uh, it validates what Jeff and I are doing, which I uh, definitely, it's easier to do stuff when you get outside validation. Um, and I just, you know, thanks again. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. And, and you know, real quick, as far as gratitude, I want to say thank you to to my team, right? You, uh, your brother, Daniel, Craig, and Phil, you guys helped write this packet. This wasn't all uh, just one person. This was a team effort. Um, we're already working on our Jacksonian packet. We're already working on our uh, How the Republic Works packet, fine-tuning these things so they're ready to go for for uh, the people out there. And uh, I, I got to say, it's really great to have such thoughtful people to bounce ideas off of. Like, it's just, it's a really good environment for me. I really enjoy it. Um you know, Craig and Phil, you know, I love the different aspects that we get. And, and Daniel, man, he really nailed it with the Thomas Jefferson and the Benjamin Franklin bios. I absolutely loved it. So it makes me happy to talk about history with people, to talk about government with people in such a civilized way. Um, so thank you to everybody out there. That's what our meetings are like, guys. It's happy, fun. That's right. All right. So remember, go to madisonianrepublicans.com and register for your next event. Uh, if you want to check out the articles, uh, you can either go to my Facebook, Instagram page, or Twitter handle to find it, or you can go to Politics and Parenting on the Substack at, um, app. You can like, share, subscribe, whatever you feel necessary to get your voice heard. Um, we'd love to have a conversation with you. And thank you for listening. Peace and love. <laughs>